0: This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today is episode 26. And I am talking to Barry Hutchison, who very kindly came and did this podcast last minute for me. Now, I wanted to do something to help Um, in the, um, what I am calling the Corona gate situation. Uh, So we are talking about how to bootstrap your marketing and publishing, which basically I'm hoping that for anybody who has financial concerns uh, because of what's happening with Corona, I am hoping that this episode will be super helpful or just for anybody who wants to spend less on their marketing. But first to last week's question. I asked, how do you network? Melissa Green said, I network on social media. I'm on most platforms and I also use Zoom. Sarah Louise said, great podcast, Sasha. I started reading Networking for Authors, which is by last week's guest, Daniel Parsons on my journey home from the SPF live show back in March, and I wish I'd discovered it before I went. I really enjoyed the book, which is packed full of handy tips and useful info written in a light-hearted way, with Dan Parsons sharing his experiences and insights, invaluable reading for any introvert. Tony Harrison said, I've attended several conferences here in California, and to that end have formed several friendships with other writers. Uh, Tim Seabrook said, another total introvert and unlikely to be traveling anywhere to network for the foreseeable future. Shay said, answer, I don't and thus I shall be listening to this episode first thing in the morning. Thank you to everybody who takes the time to answer my weekly question. I really do appreciate it. This week's question is, what is your best free or cheap marketing tip? the book recommendation this week actually comes from somebody else. It comes from past guest Karen Ferreira, who recommended Swearing is Good for You by Emma Byrne. I cannot wait. To read this book, as soon as uh, she posted it in my Facebook group, I immediately went and brought it. Um, it looks like a scream, and uh, I might even try and pitch Emma after I have read the book, and maybe she will be on this podcast. But for those of you sweary lovers out there, I think this book is going to be perfect. And thank you to Karen for the recommendation. And as always, I will leave links in the show notes to that book. So in personal update, last week felt particularly hard. Um, It was the fourth week for uh, the UK to be in lockdown and I, I didn't really get as much done as I wanted to or it didn't feel like I did. My, however, the Anatomy of Prose paperback pre-order went live, which is fantastic, so the pre-order for the ebook and the paperback are now live, and I am starting to get some fantastic reviews back in, so um, if you haven't pre-ordered your copy yet and you would like to improve your prose, I highly recommend you pre-order a copy. Uh, this week I will be getting the hardback proof, I am also releasing a hardback with this one, So um, I'm literally about to order that this evening. What else? Uh, The workbook uh, has come back from the editor so I will be um, putting the paperback uh, pre-order live hopefully this week for that one. Ah yes I've also written an article on how to breathe life into your prose using the touch sense uh, which is on Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi's uh, Writers Helping Writers website where I'm a resident writing coach so if you would like to uh, breathe a bit more life into your prose then I will leave a link to that in the show notes and also it is a bit of a glimpse at prose uh, the anatomy of prose as I did um, take a couple of sections from that and then build the Article around it, so it will give you a bit of a sneak peek at the anatomy of prose. Last, I was also a guest on First Editing's podcast where I was talking about how to go full time as a writer. So, if you would like to listen to that interview, I will leave a link in the show notes as well. Now, for today's very large announcement, I am super, super excited to announce that I am launching another podcast. I know. I know I always say how busy I am and blah 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 but this is going to be epic and um it's completely different to this one as well so the podcast is called Next Level Authors and it's launching on the 21st of April which as I record on Sunday the uh what are we Sunday the the 19th of April is in a couple of days time but by the time you're listening to this live on Wednesday it will have launched yesterday. So um, you can get that in your podcatches and I okay so let me start again. So I am hosting this with Dan Wilcox who ha, who was guest I think on episode two talking about collaboration. Now this podcast is a podcast for all creative achievers out there Each week, we'll be questioning each other and pushing each other to take our writing businesses to the next level. Listen in as we share the successes, tips, tricks, and mistakes that we make on our way to the next level. I mentioned that this podcast is going to work a little differently, and that is definitely the case. First of all, we're recording video, so you will get to see us in all our either glory or, you know, hot mess uh, situation each week. We will be putting the videos on YouTube and the podcast, uh, just the audio, will go through uh, normal podcast channels. Uh, Each week, the episodes will be less than half an hour. Our aim is to be short, sharp and sweet with these. One question, uh, kind of topic or theme of the week and where we pick each other's brains and then we will have to do some kind of task uh, by the following Friday, Friday or whenever we record, uh, or else there will be forfeits. Um, Yeah, each, uh, each episode will go live on Tuesday mornings in the UK. And to celebrate, we are launching with not one, but three full episodes and a short intro episode as well. So if you would like to listen to the Next Level Authors podcast, I will leave links to uh, both the YouTube, the the, uh, podcast RSS feed, and also the Facebook group that is associated to that. Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Tim Seabrook. The company that Tim worked for in the UK uh, restructured their business again. And unfortunately, Tim was made redundant, but they kept him waiting around for almost eight months until um, the replacement was up and running. The candidate that they selected seemingly had a perfect CV and was an expert on all of the systems, including things like Excel and Access and SAP. Uh, This person was hired, given a car, and paid more money. So Tim's rebellion was to only train him on bespoke areas that he wouldn't know, ensuring that all new work requests went to him, and he returned to his contracted hours instead of doing 60 to 80 hour weeks for the first time in over a decade. However... They rapidly discovered that this new candidate's Excel uh, skills were uh, average and this new chap who was taking over Tim's job thought that Tim would continue to do the work for him when he buggered off uh, and gallivanted away from the office. Both he and they were wrong. And the manager and the new candidate were left scrambling when uh, Tim did his job and not the new candidate's job. And uh, basically, they realised they hired the wrong guy. So well done, Tim. I love that you got um, vengeance and this new candidate got comeuppance. I, uh, I love a little cheeky work rebellion there. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please, please do send in your stories. I love reading them, and I am actually starting to get low again on uh, rebellious stories. You can email me any kind of rebellion, big, small, or otherwise. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, then email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. No new patrons this week, but I would like to say a huge thank you to all of my current patrons who are helping to ensure that this podcast continues. If You would like to support the show and get access to all of the bonus essays, posts, content, hear um, exclusive news from me before anybody else, then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. That's Sasha with a C and not an S. I had some sound recording issues with this episode, so I am sorry, the sound quality isn't as good as normal, uh, but it should be back to normal next week okay let's get on with the show hello and welcome back to the rebel author podcast today i am with barry Hutchison. Barry is an award winning children's author who moved into the indie publishing for grown ups in 2016. He is the author of the Space Team sci fi comedy series and, under the name JD Kirk, the number one Amazon best selling DCI Jack Logan crime fiction series. Hello and welcome.
1: Thanks very much. What a lovely introduction.
0: Uh, well, thank you very much. So we met quite a while ago now. I remember meeting you. I think it was at Runnymede.
1: Yeah, London. Yeah, London. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a couple of years ago, and you were hilariously funny in your um, presentation. Well, thank um, you much. And so I wanted to bring you on today to talk about um, something that you you've talking about many talking talking about. Christ, God, this uh, this this. It's morning. not even early
1: in the morning. I know. (laughs) afternoon now.
0: (laughs) I know. I haven't had coffee, though, in my defence. And also, I have a six-year-old and I didn't go to sleep until one. Um, Anyway, so um, I have heard you talk about this a couple of times and I think now more than ever with um, the lockdown that we are facing and the global health crisis, um, I know that lots and lots of people are worried about money, about their business cash flow and so I asked you to come on to talk about bootstrapping your marketing. Um, But before we get into that, could you tell everybody a little bit more about your writing journey um, and how you got to
1: where you are today yeah no problem at all I've wanted to be an author since I was nine years old Uh, I did uh, I was in my local library I used to go into the library a lot and ask the librarian for books on certain topics so I would say I want a book about aliens and she would find me a book about aliens and uh, one day I went in and I asked her for a book about ninjas I was going through a phase where I was obsessed with ninjas uh, and she said, I don't have any books about ninjas, and I was devastated that the library had let me down. <laughs> and she said, um, hang on a minute, and she went through the back, and she came through with a notebook and a pen, and she said, write a book about ninjas. So I wrote this terrible story about ninjas. I showed her it. It took, it took me a, of a few days to write. I showed her it, um, and to her... Immense credit. She not only read it, but she wrote my name on the spine of the book, of the notebook, and she put it on the shelf next to the other books. And you know, like, you know, the movies when the clouds part and you get that (laughs) heavenly chord, and that's what it felt like. And I I realized that that's what I wanted to do was write books. It took a while. Um, I had my first series picked up by HarperCollins Children's Books in 2007 when I was kind of 30-something, 30, I don't know how old I was, actually 30, thereabouts. Um, And that was a a horror series uh, called Invisible Fiends. It was actually supposed to be a standalone horror book. Um, I'd written loads of stuff prior to that and never sent it anywhere. And this was the first thing that I thought, right, I actually want to do something with this. It's a story about a boy uh, who, when he's four, he has an imaginary friend called Mr. Mumbles, and when he's 12, Mr. Mumbles comes back and tries to kill him in a variety of horrible ways. Um, so I, can, I sent it to an agent um, and they they liked it and they wanted to represent it. And they sent it to one publisher, they sent it to HarperCollins. And a few months after they sent it, HarperCollins um, came back and said, could you do a series of six books? And I went, yep. And they said, great, can you give us the outlines for the next five by two o'clock this afternoon? We have an editorial meeting about it. <laughs> so I went, this was like, kind of like 11 o'clock in the morning. So I went, yep. And uh, I, I hammered out five uh, very short kind of single paragraph outlines of the next next few books. So HarperCollins took that on. I wrote a few more books for HarperCollins. I've, I've written over 140 books for kids over kind of 10 years. Um, some under my, most under my own name, well, but half and half under my own name and, and some under pen names. And uh, I wrote, uh, uh, the was cartoon series Ben 10, I wrote all the books based on that. I wrote books based on the Skylanders video game series and uh, various other things. I'm down as having co-written a non-fiction book with Roald Dahl, um, according to the British Library, despite the fact he died many years before I started writing. Um, so I've done a lot of stuff in that regard. Um, none of it, unfortunately, really paid much money. Uh, So, like most children's authors, I tended to make most of my money from doing school visits. So, you would go into schools, you would deliver workshops, you would do festivals, you would do talks there, you would go to libraries, you would do events there, and we're lucky in Scotland that we have the Scottish Book Trust who will pay a fee for doing that. So most of my money, despite having written all these books for traditional publishers, most of my money came from events. And back in 2016, I was asked to go into a secondary school and and talk to kids there about how they could publish their own work. And I had no idea whatsoever how kids could publish their own work. As far as I was concerned, you typed a book in Word, you emailed it to an editor in London, and one to two years later, a book arrived in the post. (laughs) And that was my entire understanding of the process. So I set about kind of teaching myself. I thought, I'm going to teach them how to self-publish on Kindle, which I had never really tried before. So I thought I'd better teach myself how to do it first. I did a little um, short serial thing, which I dabbled in, I tried called The Bug. uh, And then I thought I'm going to publish a novel. And it was uh, the first Space Team book. I wrote the book in about three weeks. Uh, It was really just an experiment, as I say. I, I didn't write it as a book. I wrote it as part of an experiment in self-publishing. Uh, I published it and almost immediately it started out selling all my traditionally published books um, combined. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, there's potential here. Uh, and I, I then, there are now 12 books in the Space Team series, three spin-offs, a collection of short stories, 12 audio books, um, and, and uh, merchandise available. And a kind of big fan base, really dedicated Insane fan base um, for a Space Team, so um, and that all came about from from um, wanting to do this kind of workshop in schools. So that's basically kind of brings us up to today. Last year I started; I thought I would try again and start from scratch, get uh, kind of putting in place what I already knew, and I, I wrote the JD Kirk uh, crime series books. First one came out in May last year, so almost a year ago, and those kind of outsell my Space Team books. 10 20 to 1 uh, those are those are going fantastically they've been number one in various amazon stores so uh, yeah they've been, they've been doing really well
0: that is amazing i don't know which part to to ask you about first um, i absolutely adore that story um from your childhood with that woman i mean what a hero she is yeah, to have absolutely. fostered she's, actually, like... she's, she's
1: even more of a hero than that actually because because prior to that i didn't read books i read comics and uh, my my teacher in school primary school hated the fact that i read comics and um we went into the library when a new librarian started um, my teacher tried to kind of ridicule me and tried to, and got all the kids to stand up and say what kind of books they like reading. And then she made me stand up and, and tried to kind of ridicule me for liking comics. And that librarian, Mrs. McIntyre, said, wait there a minute. And she went through the back and she came back out with this massive stack of comics. Oh! The Beano, the Beano, the Dandy and everything, and Spider-Man and the whole everything. There was just this amazing kind of... Um, just stack of joy <laughs> she brought out and she dumped it down in front of me and said there you go." Well, then read those and I went into the library every day and read comics and then she started getting me to read books as well just to went, oh you like that comic try this book uh, so she was amazing amazing woman um, and I now write for the Beano as well so, um, no
0: way so, yeah, oh my
1: uh, so goodness that, me um, yeah I put that down to her
0: yeah that is amazing cause she she needs like a or a more goosebimply cause she literally like don't help helped shape your That's
1: entire life doing. literally literally changed the entire course of my life i would say yeah.
0: um so i wrote down i, I did I, I loosely knew that you did children's books but i didn't realize the number or or volume of them that you've done so um selfishly what age range are those kids uh, books every, every,
1: i've covered every age range really i started i've, I've got done one picture book which, I, which is really difficult to do picture books and I, I, I my uh, hat's off to anyone who can write picture books done one of those but I've written books for um, all ages really so the, let me think, what series there's Night of the Living Ted which is about evil teddy bears that come to life that's kind of uh, five to seven year old thereabouts, five to eight there's the Shark Headed Bear thing series which is about the same sort of age range, there's Spectre Collectors which is comedy horror, sci-fi type stuff and that's kind of nine to twelve um, there's uh, the Invisible Fiends horror series, that's of 9 to 12. The 13th Horseman and the Book of Doom, which are comedy fantasy, which are kind of teenage books. So, yeah, kind of the whole age range, really.
0: I'm in a, a strange situation where my son is only six, or he's six and a half now, um, but he reads like an eight or Um, nine-year-old. But we... I mean, very typical of an author's child. Um, But um, the, the issue is because he is definitely six mentally like in terms of his you know social and his understanding of i guess you know complex topics but his ability to read is is so far above that we're finding it very difficult to keep him engaged in stories because lots of the ones that are for his age range are boring you know like with all respect to biff chip and kipper who you know teach every child probably on the planet to read, they are not the most engaging of books. No, and, definitely, um, definitely. and so,
1: yeah, well, i try Try the... the um of the Loving Ted yeah. series, yeah, I've yeah, just written I that designed down for that sort of reader, really. Because my daughter was the same. She, was, when I'm writing them, she was about kind of, that same sort of age, six or so. But she was reading at kind of, you know nine, ten year old level mm. Um So uh, yeah, try those.
0: Yeah, so we've we've just started City of Ghosts, I think it is, which is set in Edinburgh, but by V. E. Schwab, um, which is definitely a middle grade, and he can read it all. But I think the concepts are. Yeah, I'm not sure how much he's engaged in it but yeah okay so I will I'm totally gonna go and do that um okay so <laughs> back to the topic now I've finished being selfish um so I've already mentioned that I heard you talking about bootstrapping your business and in particular uh the marketing um I think it was Ronnie Mead where yeah, I heard you talk so. about that um, so can you can you tell listeners about the main principles of bootstrapping you know what what are they getting themselves into if they want to bootstrap their business or their marketing
1: well, basically it was a necessity for me because I being a children's author like I say I had I had no money whatsoever um so I wanted to put space team out uh, for for no money basically and I wanted to because I was going to be teaching kids how to do this kids have no money to spend on marketing, or no marketing budget if they want to put their work out anywhere. So I thought I need to be able to deliver this workshop in a way that kids can go home, write a book, put it online and sell it without spending any money. So that was that was kind of the driving force behind it. So the concept of it is basically is self-publishing with no budget. It's how can you take the idea that's in your head um, and get that Selling, not just on Amazon, but selling without spending any money on it. So that's that's the concept in a nutshell. So it's just um, self-publishing for free is the is the idea.
0: Okay, and um, which obviously. <laughs> Lots of people, I'm sure, will be like, "What? You can do this for free?" Yeah, um, well,
1: that because there's lots of people trying to sell you expensive things. You know, there's there's uh, and and some of them are absolutely worthwhile. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm I'm not saying that that free is necessarily the way to go. It's certainly not the easiest way to go um, because there is there's always an investment, and whether that investment is money or time is up to you. You know, and how much of that is 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 money and how much is time. There's a sliding scale. At one end, you have you're, you're outsourcing everything apart from the writing. In some cases, you're even outsourcing the writing. You know, some some um, publishers or some uh, indie authors are essentially names with ghostwriters producing the content. So that's one end of the, the the scale. The other end of the scale is you are doing literally everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all kind of you know a thousand and one things you need to do as a publisher, you are doing yourself. So while you're not spending the money on that. You, you have to put in the time. You have to spend the time to do it. Now, when I was doing Space Team, I have quite limited Photoshop skills. You know, I can I, I know how Photoshop works. I know how to, to, to cut things out that looks decent, you know, so it doesn't have a halo around it. All. So I, I know I have, I'm competent with Photoshop, but I had no idea what made a good book cover. So Rather than just jump in and go, I'm going to design my cover now. I spent a few weeks looking at cover design um, kind of articles on, on. I googled them. I looked at Facebook groups where people were sharing their covers, and I was seeing the feedback. Uh, keyboards was a the thing then. I don't know if it still is, but people were were sharing covers on there and were critiquing. So I was looking at what those critiques said, and I was I was I was taking on board all that advice. So before I had even started trying to design my cover. I had invested weeks of my time in learning the principles of cover design, and then the first cover for Space Team, or the cover for the first Space Team book. I think I went through ten different versions or so, and I was constantly bringing them to groups and bringing them to keyboards and saying, "Right, what's your feedback on this?" And inviting people to be brutal because I, you know, there's no point in people going, "Oh, that's really nice, well done," and you put out a substandard product. I wanted people to be Utterly ruthless and telling me what was wrong with it, and then I could then go and try and correct it. You know, and then I would go back and they would say, "No, you made it worse, or you you haven't you haven't taken that on board at all." And I would go back and I would I would try again. So I went through multiple versions. You know, those ten drafts or ten different covers, like I say, there were in reality a hundred different versions because some were just tweaked slightly, and then but there were ten full designs. I would say. So I put the time in, and that's really important. You can't go great. I can do it for free. I'll lock together a cover in an hour. I'll stick it up. I'll, I'll I'll self-edit without any you know knowledge of how to do so. You have to learn it, you know, and and that's that's the bit that people find difficult. They think, great, I can publish for free, but but you're not publishing for free. You're investing the time that you would otherwise pay for. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and I think that is why this industry isn't for everybody. Not everybody wants to learn all of these things, not everybody wants to, um, <clears throat> you know, invest that much time. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what industry or career you're in, if you want to make it a, a success, you're looking, don't they say, you it's 10 every overnight success is 10 years in the making or something yeah. you know and and that's exactly the same here you know if you if you want to bootstrap then that's fine you can do everything for free but you will have to <laughs> expend uh, that free in time so it's not yeah. really nothing is really ever for free it's just no. what kind of currency you want to spend you want to spend time currency or or, or um you know monetary currency
1: Absolutely. And if I was to look at it as the amount of time that I spent, if I was to look at having paid myself even minimum wage in that time, you know, that's thousands of pounds that would have, would have cost. So I spent thousands of pounds worth of time learning all this stuff.
0: Yeah. But see for me, I get really excited by that because I'm like, I want to know all of the things and I yeah, want to learn all of the right. things. It, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that that's the beauty of this of the, the kind of indie publishing industry though, is you can do that. You can yeah. you can go as far into it as you want. And I'm now in a position that it makes more sense for me to outsource most things. You know, mm. so I outsource cover design, I outsource editing and, and all that stuff. But I really enjoy doing it. So sometimes I like to just, I'll, I'll do a mock-up of the cover and go, okay, this is what I want, do that but better. You know, yeah. and then I'll, I'll give it to someone and, and they'll come back and they'll made an amazing version of the, the kind of the rough draft that I did. Yeah. So I like, I like keeping my hand in that way. And sometimes I'll just say, you know, surprise me, do something a bit like this and then they'll come back with something amazing. Um, now, what I was fortunate um, in was that Having been an author, you know, a full-time author for ten years, I understand story structure. I under, I've worked with with dozens of editors from some of the biggest publishing companies in the world, so I understand what works in a story and what doesn't. So I had that advantage going in that when it came to the kind of editing part, I could be quite brutal. I could go, "Okay, I know this doesn't work. I know that does work," and I know. So that comes from experience. So again, that that's a difficult thing. That's something that people and people have to accept that the first book they put out will not be the best book they will ever write every book i write is better than the one before in some regard because practice makes perfect you know and every book is practice for the next one yeah. out the back out the back of some of those early Harper Collins books which i'm kind of reading to my daughter now and I cringe at some
0: of them you know and it's it's just practice it's all it is yeah i are i'm nodding along so much here because um i am like a super craft geek so i spent i read a lot of non-fiction about story about prose about you know every aspect of the craft and um it it, i'm actually funnily enough struggling to finish my first young adult series because i look at the first book and i'm like there's so much wrong with it that i want to fix everyone does that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um okay so what mistakes do you see writers making when trying to bootstrap
1: i think it's that rushing in thing i think it is the it's the the idea that going, great i can do this for free i'll have a book up this afternoon and it's it's just not possible you know you have to like i say, put the time in um and take feedback take criticism invite it you know there's no point being precious about this you're putting yourself out into the world and when people read your book on Amazon, which or wherever they choose to read it, they will be brutal. You know, they will be. Some of those reviews you get will be horrendous. I've had some awful reviews, you know. And you can you can insulate yourself to that by by doing as much as possible now to put the best possible product out there. Absolutely. There's a there's a, you know there's a school of thought that you put you kind know, that minimum viable product and you put something out that's that's okay. And and you know, a lot of authors do that, a lot of authors make a lot of money doing that. And that's absolutely fine. You just have to choose where your kind of line is. You go, okay, what I'm aiming for. Is, am I aiming for the greatest book ever written? In which case you will never publish a book because you will never reach that, that level of perfection. Mm. Or are you looking for something that doesn't have any spelling mistakes, you know, which is a much farther down the line sort of line to draw. I can aim somewhere between there, and I'm, go, I'm going. But I want to write the best possible book I can, given these constraints. And yeah. these constraints are: I want to put out X number of books in a year. So yeah. I know that I have X number of weeks or X number of months to write that book. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I aim to write the best possible book I can. So, um, but but that, that takes time. So it is that the, the big problem I see is people rushing in. Um, or the opposite, like I say, people are going, "I'm not going to put this book out until it is absolutely perfect," and no book is ever perfect. No. But one of my one of my books that was published um, through HarperCollins, I would say one of the top five publishers in the world. I got it back. I got the final copies um, about six days before I was due to a launch event, to which loads of people and press had been invited to. I was looking through the, the copies arrived on a Friday night, and I was like. It was always exciting, getting a new book. And I flicked through and I realised that the top half of page 13 was on page 14 and vice versa.
0: Oh no. And,
1: and every apostrophe had been replaced with double quotation marks. Someone had done a weird find and replace at some point, And it replaced all the um, apostrophes with double quotation marks. So I managed to get hold of someone at HarperCollins through Facebook because no one was in the office. And they said, okay, we're well, going to do an emergency print run. We're going to pop these, pop thirteen thousand copies, <gasps> do an emergency print run, um, and they said will be you in three days. Three days later, no books had arrived, and they said, yeah, there's been a there's been a hold up. We're going to get you to them in time for the launch event. They're going to they're going to deliver them directly to the launch event. So five minutes before the launch event, still no books and I've Oh, this is a disaster you know and then th- this box arrived and the books turned up and we opened them up and they were the third edition and we later found out that they had pulped 13,000 copies, reprinted 13,000 copies from the same file with the same errors in it, pulped all those and then printed 30,000 more. Um, so yeah these mistakes can can happen so uh, nothing no book is ever perfect Um, Hopefully, hopefully won't be as bad as that but uh but yeah so yeah it's 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 choosing your level of um kind of acceptable quality you know i think i i I think people should strive to the best possible book they can Mm. But you've got to accept that
0: perfection is impossible. possible. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. I was having a conversation very similar to that um, over the weekend um, because, or maybe it was last week, because um, I slowed right down my publishing. But um, yeah, this year I'm trying to speed back up. And, and, and part of it is because I want to put out the best book I'm capable of putting out. But that yeah. doesn't mean that it's a perfect book. It's not going to be a perfect yeah. book. Mm-hmm. It's just the best of my ability, which invariably means I write a bit slower than other people but um that's tough I'm I'm happier putting out something that I am proud of than I am accepting a slightly lower quality book but that's not to say that lower quality you know quality is in the eye of the the reader at the end of the day Absolutely. And, and no
1: matter how good that book is now I guarantee you that in five years time you will look back at it and go oh god that's yep. terrible oh yeah. I should change that why but why did I put that on? Because Absolutely. that's what we do. We get we get better. That's exactly. So, so and if you don't if you don't write the books, you don't get better.
0: No, exactly. And almost if you don't look back in five years and go, oh God, I could have done this or that better, then you know you're not developing or progressing. Yeah, you're just, you're
1: just treading water. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Okay, so let's look specifically at the marketing end. What practical things can authors do in the run up to a launch in order to save themselves marketing spend?
1: Well, I can I can really only speak from from what I did, um, and what I did was I because I went into a lot of um, kind of indie author groups, the Twenty Books group. I think we only had about three hundred people in it when I joined the Twenty Books to Fifty K group. It was it was tiny. Um, I'd seen Michael andley post on on keyboards and, and saying check out this group, and I thought oh will have a look, and I went on, and there were a lot of people there who knew a lot about indie publishing, and I hadn't published my first. Book then, so I knew nothing about indie publishing, but I like I like to be helpful. So I, I I went on and people who were asking questions about craft, I knew I could help out with those. I could answer those because I had been at that point, you know, full-time author for ten years. So I could help with those. I could give feedback on on um, kind of snippets from books people had posted. I would uh, I helped to proofread some stuff. I gave feedback on covers just based on my personal preference. And I got involved. And I tried to, uh, not in any kind of calculating way, but I I, I tried to help as many people as possible because I was getting a lot from the group. I was learning um, a lot of of information about indie publishing. And I tried to give back as much as I could with with what little I knew, (laughs) what little relevant, useful stuff I knew. So so, um, by doing that, what I later discovered, and when people had new books out, I would share them on my Facebook page. I would say, look, here's a new thing. Here's, check this out. This is all very exciting. And what I found was when it got to the stage that I was ready to put the stuff out, everyone I had helped or everyone who had seen me helping people were really keen to help me too. And they had a much bigger reach than I had. You know, they had. So when my first book went out, and Michael Anderley shared it to to his uh, newsletter his mailing list you know so so that was good so just by being helpful just by being kind of personable and and doing what i could to help people out they were really keen to help me so that gave me a big boost i'd also learned and listening to podcasts at the time and and reading up um they all stressed the mailing list and it, it still seems to be the case. I, I still think you know, I started building a mailing list um, by giving some stuff away. I'd written some some short stories that were based on my um, kind of traditional published stuff, you know. So I gave those away, and, and I gave away um, just various little short bits and bobs that I had written, and tried to build up a mailing list that way. And I built up a kind of small mailing list of maybe I think before I launched, kind of like three hundred, four hundred people. And then I had a magnet in the back when the first book came out and that was giving away a free short story. And I was using um, MailChimp at that point. So I had 2,000 free um, or the count gives you 2,000 subscribers free or, or thereabouts. So again, that was costing me nothing at all. I'd written something. I gave it away for free um, and I built a mailing list through that. Um, I did the same with the JD Kirk stuff because I wanted to kind of bootstrap that as well just to see if I could do it again. Um and I didn't. Have, I couldn't be bothered. It was sheer laziness. I couldn't be bothered writing a reader magnet, writing a short story because I had so much other stuff I was juggling at that point. So I thought, what else can I give away? And the JD Kirk books are set in the Highlands, um, where I live. So I created a photo gallery of locations from the first book, um, and it's it's just pictures of of kind of the area. So stuff that I had. I'd, I'd taken most of them already. I went out and took a few of the kind of local police station and stuff like that, and I put this gallery out and, and linked to that in the back of the book. And there, you know, I've got thousands of subscribers from people who just wanted to look at some nice photos. So that, so there are things you can do that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, a huge burden on your time. Like you don't have to write a reader magnet. I mean, people will will definitely thank you for it. And I intend to do do a short story set in that kind of that world at some point. But there are other things you can give away to lure people into your mailing list. So, um, so yeah, building mailing list is key, I would say, and just being nice to people. I think my one of the my key points in the presentation at Twenty Books London was, don't be a dick, and just you know, if you just make yourself helpful, people will will naturally want to help you too. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I think it does. I think
1: because I forgot what the question was about happy food. I just kept talking in the (laughs) hope that that I would answer something.
0: So the the question was, uh, what practical things can authors do in the run up to a launch to save? Like oh, I saw, yeah, I did yeah.
1: I did, yeah. Ask, yeah. Oh, I did yeah. well then.
0: <laughs> and the, the marketing, um, the, the, um, sorry, I'm like smashing my mic around. Um, the the mailing list is so important. And um, this is definitely something that I need to work on for my fiction in the next quarter because I have um, reader magnets for my non-fiction, but I've never done it. And I have stuff I can use, I'm just being silly and resistant. But anyway, um okay, how can you find readers without spending money on expensive Facebook ads?
1: Well, Facebook first and foremost is it's not an advertising network, it's a social network, you know. So, um it's it's finding a way to reach out to people without again without being a deck, you know, because no one wants to be sold to by their friends necessarily, but you may find that you're already in groups. You know, there are there are lots of sci-fi authors who are already in science fiction-related groups or, you know, uh, which have sometimes have thousands, tens of thousands of members. And if they're already active in those, and those are a perfect place to kind of, depending on the rules of that group, obviously, but to, to kind of mention the fact that you've done this thing that might be of interest to people. So it's fine it, it, I think once you find a few fans, it's much easier. So if you can find a small group of people that you think will like your book, if you can give them the book for free, if you can, you know, you're, you're building up that kind of street team type thing where people will, will do your selling for you almost. And I don't want to to, to suggest this in a kind of um, in a way of flouting rules of certain groups, but you can't self promote. But if you have a group of people who genuinely enjoy your books, there is nothing to stop them promoting your books in groups. You know, So, you know, I don't want to say that I kind of cynical, convince people to go and sell your stuff kind of way, but if you can get readers genuinely excited, and all you need is a small group of genuinely excited people who can help spread the word around on, on social media, you can... Gently encourage them to do so. You know, it's not that's not against the rules. Unlike Amazon, you obviously can't encourage them to review your book, but there's no harm in saying, you know, if you've enjoyed this, go and tell your friends on Facebook. Go and you know, go to my page on Facebook, share this link, wherever it may be. Um, so it's it's finding that small group of dedicated fans, and they may already be in groups that you frequent. So, so, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. I'd say look at the groups you're already in, look at the people you're already interacting with on Facebook and see if some of those would appreciate, especially given that we have a lot of time on our hands at the moment, if they would appreciate reading your book for free. Mm. And then using that, because that giving away, uh, to start with, I was really resentful because I'm Scottish and I'm very tight <laughs> with money. The idea of giving anything away to people for free was just went against my my you know, bare nature. It didn't seem to be make sense. To go, well, these are potential readers, and I'm giving away you know twenty copies of this book. That's potentially you know forty quid. I <laughs> could be my pocket. But if those twenty readers bring in a thousand readers, you know, and, and you know twenty readers is nothing. There are millions of readers in Amazon. those are the ones you want to reach. Mm. And if giving away to those twenty, giving away to those to fifty, giving away to a hundred people helps you reach, you know, thousands of readers, then it makes complete sense. So it's, it's don't be afraid to give stuff away, um, As a, especially at this stage in, in Space Team, there are 12 books in the series, there are three spin-offs, short story collections, I can afford to give stuff away for free. In the hope that people go, oh, well, I'm going to read the next 11 or whatever it may be. So, yeah, don't be afraid to give stuff away for free. Um, it's a great way to get people onto the, your mailing list. Like I say, if you give them your book for free, get them signed up. But just giving it away and getting it out there into the world. And the more it's out there in the world, the more it will spread, like a certain virus, which is causing us <laughs> problems at the moment. Um, but, yeah, the more you can put it out there, the more other people will pick up on it. Get those excited fans to start start talking about it. Um, that's what I would recommend.
0: Amazing. Um, are there any tools or resources you particularly like or have used that have saved you money? Um, I found
1: recently an alternative to Evernote. I was subscribed to Evernote for, for a few years. I think it was costing like 100 quid a year or something. But there's a, a, an open source alternative called Joplin, J-O-P-L-I-N, which is excellent. Which does add a, you can even import all your notes from Evernote. There's like an importer. Um, it's fantastic. I uh, really enjoy that. There's uh, another free bit of software called Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. I think it's Notion.io possibly is the website. Um, but that's great. That's, I, I use that for organizing pretty much everything now. You can create dashboards, you can you can you know, use it to take notes, you can make a little wiki, you can do whatever you want with it. It's an incredible bit of software. Um, and Trello as well. I, plan, I tend to plan up my stories in Trello um, and use them. Oh, actually, I found an amazing bit of software recently. Uh, I got a big whiteboard and I got post-it notes for my. I don't tend to plan the, the Space Team stuff very much. It's almost stream stream of consciousness type stuff. Uh, But um, the JD Kirkbook, because it's a crime, I have to know who done it at the start, you know, so I can see the clues through. So I got a big whiteboard and I got post-it notes, and I put post-its up. But there is an app, there's a post-it app, and you take a picture and it identifies where all your post-it notes are, and then you can use the app to move them around. You can, you, you take a virtual Whiteboard, of it, and you can just move the notes around and do all that stuff. But it's oh free, my god! It's amazing. So um, I, I have a big whiteboard in the office. I take a picture, and then I can take it all down because I've got the Post-it app. But I can just zoom in and move around and add more notes and tag them and all sorts of stuff. So, what is amazing. that piece post-it of heaven app.
0: called? What was that? What What is that piece of heaven called? It's just called. Just
1: look on the app store. Just Post-it. P-O-S-T dash I-T. P-O-S-T-T-T um it's an official post-it notes app um brilliant Amazing. oh my and also, god even more amazingly uh, you can import from that into Trello. so you can put make a post-it notes take a picture and import them all into Trello, and it reads your handwriting converts it into text into a Trello board
0: so there is a bit of an on-running joke in one of my facebook groups about how much of a post-it queen i am <laughs> There, go look at that. I literally posted everything I just had a quick count I have nearly 20 post-its around my iMac like yeah. just because I mean I use them on everything everywhere and I did not know about this so you have just brought me a little you can piece of joy take a
1: picture of that and then move them around virtually yeah
0: that's amazing uh thank you oh my god that's just made my day um okay this is the rebel author podcast so tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel
1: Oh, God, I don't, I don't know if I have an inner rebel. I'm very boring. Uh, in terms of indie publishing, one thing I can I can think of that um, there's probably a lesson to take from it. I don't know what the lesson is, but there's probably a lesson to take from it somewhere. Um, when I was showing off my Space Team covers, I was determined I wanted to mark it as comedy science fiction and not just science fiction. And I kind of had a bit of a background in writing comics and I decided quite early on that there was going to be a speech bubble on the cover for this first Space Team book. It was the only Space Team book that I had planned at that point, and I wanted a speech bubble on it, and everybody that I showed it to on keyboards, everybody that I showed it to on Facebook said, what are you doing? Take the stupid speech bubble off the cover. (laughs) And I was, detect- I thought, no, I, I like it. And I-, I-, I listened to every little bit of advice I was given. Um, and I'd taken all that on board. And the speech bubble, I said, no, I- I'm keeping it. People got quite angry. People I didn't know were getting quite angry at me keeping the speech bubble on. Um, and I decided I was-, I was keeping it. I put it out. And the number of reviews, the number of people who-, who contacted me said I was, what drew my eye was the speech bubble on the cover. No way! (laughs) Yeah, and and then what happened was, in the kind of months that followed, in fact, the the months that followed me, because I told this story um, at Running Week when I was down in London, and I said, the kind of lesson I said was, find your thing that makes your book stand out, that makes you all go, oh yeah, that's the one with X, or whatever it might be. And a lot of people took that to mean, put speech bubbles on your covers. And it made like with. Within weeks of *Running and for months afterwards, every kind of comic science fiction book that appeared had a speech bubble on the cover. But they hadn't paid attention to the lessons of um, learn what you're doing, you know, and to learn how to design a cover. These speech bubbles were, you know, just slapped on, linked to nothing. There was no one speaking. There were just speech bubbles on there. So they'd taken one bit of advice. They'd gone, okay, find what makes your book unique to mean steal his speech trouble idea and stick that in the covers but yeah so that people everyone said don't do it speech bubbles i said i'm doing it and i think it would be pretty instrumental to space team success the other thing that i'm about to do um to unleash my inner rebel is try to kick up a big stink uh, one of the publishers of some of my earlier books my traditionally published books i'm trying to get the rights back and they're being really stubborn and i'm i'm now considering doing a big blog post slash social media war on how unfair their their um, treatment of authors is uh, so so stay tuned for
0: well, that yeah <laughs> well that's uh, that's exciting <laughs> I uh, not well. Yeah, I'm just you know I love a bit of a big fuck you to the uh, authority. So yeah, I will that's, thoroughly that's enjoy seeing for, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books.
1: Uh, you can find my, my website is just barryjhutcherson.com That's for the space team books. If you go to jd you will find very little information at the moment on the crime fiction. I've been I was designing the jd kirk website. Cause I like doing that as well. Um, I, I should outsource that, but I, I, I like doing it. So I'm designing that just before you called. So the jdkirk.com website will be updated soon. At the moment, it's kind of just a very boring holding page. But yeah, jdkirk.com, barryjhutchison.com. I should stress it is Hutchison. It is not Hutchinson. Everybody puts an N in the middle of the surname. It's not Hutchinson, it's Hutchison. barryjhutchison.com. My publishing company is zertex media zertex being the villains in the space team series um they're they're like a they're like a kind of uh, galactic um corporation which does evil specializes in evil basically and soft (laughs) drinks so uh yeah zertexmedia.com you can find information on on loads of the stuff that that we do
0: amazing Well, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. And thank you to all of the patrons who help to support the show and to keep the show running. If you would like to get early access to all of the shows, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Barry Hutchison. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to Christina Kay all about how to write a thriller. Join me then. And don't forget to answer this week's question, what is your best cheap or free marketing tip? And last but by no means least, don't forget to go and check out my new podcast, Next Level Authors. Oh! and I lied. One more thing, don't forget to go and order, pre-order your copy of The Anatomy of Prose. Stay safe, stay at home, and I'll be back next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher, and when you have a moment, please leave a review.